And now please welcome our senior pastor, Danny Meyer, as he's going to give the sermon. Good morning. <clears throat> now you have a job to do this morning beyond listening. Uh, I've been fighting a cold, so it, it's your job to pray fervently as I'm speaking that the Holy Spirit's in control and not the cold medicine, okay? Or else it could become a very interesting talk. So let's, let's begin with a word of prayer and then we'll jump right into our, our topic. Father, we just come before you this morning and I, I ask that you would, you would speak to us, Lord. Give me clarity of thought. Help me to, to deliver those things that, that you want us to, to hear this morning. Lord, uh, help me to, to sort those things that I've, I've prepared and, and forget what you don't want me to say and to, to speak boldly what you do want me to speak on. Lord, we want to hear from you this morning. We want to be changed in our heart, not just in our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have been going through the book of Acts, and uh, today we're in Acts chapter 23. And really, in these last number of, of uh, chapters that we've been looking at and that we will be looking at, there, there's a, a common theme in what, we've, what we see, and mostly in the life of the Apostle the Apostle Paul. And what we see is Paul virtually chapter by chapter going in the frying pan, then out of the frying pan, and into the fire, and then another trial, another difficulty. And that, that just seems to be a theme in Paul's life. It's something that Paul recognized really virtually from when he began his walk with Jesus. What we see in Paul's life is a, a continual pressure, a continual press. I am absolutely sure that Paul regularly felt like there was a tug of war going on and that he was the rope. But I'm also equally sure that there's very few of us who are here today that don't feel like that is often the case, that we all go through difficult times, dark times in our lives, and it could be a, a dark time defined by the situation and, and circumstances of our life. It could be a dark time because of, of concerns and, and the weight of, of our, our care about those who we love and the difficulties that they're facing. It could be dark times because of, of regrets, because of our past, difficult times, weighty times because of apprehension about our future. But no one makes it through life without recognizing that walking in this world, which is so fallen, walking in this world which is filled with people, not, not ourselves, but other people, who are broken and damaged. You know, we're okay. It's those other people we have to put up with that, that make life difficult. Walking in this world with... That was a joke. Walking in this world with, with, with fallen bodies, we are constantly recognizing that it's not a cakewalk, it's not easy, that there's a pressure in this life. There is difficulties, darkness, trials, however you want to state it, but I, I, am I speaking to the right crowd? There's not one of us who don't recognize that walking in this world, in this life, in these bodies with, with, with each other, is, is not easy. There's trials and difficulties. This certainly was, was the case for the Apostle Paul. You know, if we look at, at what Paul even says about his own life, how he describes it when he was writing to the church in Corinth, listen to, to, listen to how Paul describes his life. This is great advertising for the, for the normal Christian life. He says, I've been in prison more frequently. I've been, been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes, minus one. 40 lashes was the death penalty. So when you were sentenced to 40 lashes, minus one, or 39 lashes, essentially what it meant is they just whip you and beat you until you're within an inch of your life. Three times, he says, I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been, in constant, uh, I've been constantly on the move. <coughs> I 
I've been in danger from rivers, dangers from the bandits, dangers from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and I've often gone without, without food. I've been cold, I've been naked. But in spite of, of this description, in spite of how Paul recognizes that his life was full of difficulties, it was not bouncing and tiptoeing from one mountaintop to another, but it was a, a journey through the valleys more often than not. Paul was still able to say, but I, I've learned the secret of contentment. And for Paul, the secret of contentment was what he said, in, in, I believe it was in Colossians, where he says, for, for me to live, it's, it's Christ. It's all about Christ. It's all what he is doing and willing to do through my life. So here we are today wanting to take this topic of how do we walk through the difficulties of life? How do we walk with Christ through the dark times so that we're not stalling out, so that we're not pushed off to the side, so that we don't quit, so that we don't take spiritual vacations. How do we walk through dark times? Now, in Acts chapter 23, I'm not going to read through this, this whole chapter, but as I said, it was just Paul continually going through difficulties. But the, the, the chapter starts with Paul, who at that time and through most of his earthly ministry... Was, uh, was under arrest. Now, in the first century, when you were under arrest, it, frequently they wouldn't put you in a prison cell, but you would be assigned a guard, a centurion. Sometimes uh, you would be chained to that Roman guard. Sometimes you would be under house arrest. But most of Paul's life, because of his unabashed, unashamed, bold testimony of, of Jesus' role in his life, most of Paul's life, he was, thank you, your reward will be great. <laughs> most, of, most of Paul's life, he was, he was under arrest. So here he, he begins under arrest, and at this point in this chapter, it starts out where the, the Jews once again wanted to, to whip him. They wanted to flog him because he again was out testifying to what Jesus had done in his life. He was just telling his own story and the transformation that had taken place through Jesus because of Jesus. And, and the Jews were, were about to, to whip him. Now, Paul's centurion, the, his guard, who he was either chained to or who was always close by, was, was observing the, the Jews who were, who had, uh, and the leadership council who were wanting to, to whip him. And, and were about to, and they were coming, apparently they were about to, to write, raise their hands with the, with the whip, with the flog, and Paul calls over to the centurion, to the Roman guard, and said, now is it lawful for, for the, the Jewish leaders to whip me? Because though Paul certainly was a, a Jew, he was a, a Pharisee, he was a devout Jew, in fact, before his conversion, he was persecuting the church, he was so devout, and his conversion took place and he became a bold testifier, a bold witness of what Jesus was doing. But they're about to whip him. He calls over to the Roman guard and says, is it lawful for the Jews to whip me? Because see, Paul, though he was a Jew, he was also a Roman citizen. And according to the law there in the first century, the Rome wouldn't let a, a, another government that, that had been conquered determine how to, how to treat their prisoners. So Paul appealed to the centurion and said, listen, I don't think this is right. Are you going to just let them beat me? That's not, that's not right according to Roman law. So the, the centurion recognized that and he said, well, let, let's figure out what the charge is. So the centurion said, tomorrow I'll bring you to the Sanhedrin, to the, to the high council uh, in Israel, the high council of the, of the Jews, which was made up of, of Pharisees and Sadducees. These were the religious leaders of the day. Uh, two different, sort of pol two different 
uh, parties within the religious leadership, Pharisees, Sadducees, they didn't particularly like each other. But Paul said, I mean, uh, the centurion said, we'll, we'll find out tomorrow what the charge is, and I'll determine whether or not you can be beaten once again. So next day, they go before the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and Sadducees, and, and their fervor begins to build. Let's whip him. We need to whip him. He's a blasphemer. He's saying that, that this man, Jesus, is God, and that's blasphemy, and he should be, he should be put to death, but we'll, we'll be satisfied with, with another whipping. And a, and a near riot breaks out. You know, vigilantes rising up, wanting to just say, we're, we're going to take him, and we're going to do as we want with him. And Paul sees what's going on. The, 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 the centurion, the Roman soldier, realizes he's losing control as well. And then Paul, I, I love this story, Paul recognizes thing, things that aren't good, he knows that there's this great divide between the Pharisees, the Pharisaical party, and the Sadducees in, the, in, in this leadership council. They, they didn't like each other. It's sort of like the Democrats and the Republicans. So what Paul does is he brings up a, a, a point before the two of them that he knows will get them arguing with each other. You know, one of the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were diametrically opposed on this issue of the resurrection of the dead, whether when a person dies, will they be resurrected to heaven or not? It was, it was a hot item. So Paul, as he sees this, this fervor, this, this anger rising up near riot, he says, I think it's, this is just an issue of the resurrection of the dead. That's, that's really at the core of it. And all of a sudden, they begin to argue with each other. It's sort of like somebody going before Congress and saying, you know, I know you're mad at me, but I think this is just an issue of, of Planned Parenthood, knowing that the Republicans, <coughs> the Republicans and, and the Democrats are going to start arguing with each other and forget the issue at hand before them. And that's exactly what Paul does. He gets them arguing with each other and, and the and they just get furious. Now they're furious at each other. The Pharisees are arguing with the Sadducees, and the Sadducees are arguing with the Pharisees, and, and everyone's mad at Paul. And so what the centurion does, he says, I'm going to take Paul away, and we're going to, we're going to adjudicate this, this matter at the, at the capital, in the Roman provincial capital, which was in Caesarea, another town. So... <coughs> Centurion takes Paul away, brings him to, to Caesarea, which is the Roman capital of that province. <coughs> Whoops. So they go to Caesarea and uh, bring him there with 200 guards because the centurion recognizes the Jews are going to want to get him. So in this chapter, just suffice it to say, Paul is constantly, regularly, just, like I said, out of the firing pan, into the fire. Just difficulty after difficulty. And uh, again, this, this was the litany of Paul's life, these dark, difficult times. But the truth is that there's not anyone here today that probably couldn't look over your life and recognize to one degree or another, we all can recognize, maybe not to the, to the degree that Paul did, but there's none of us whose life is just this, this smooth, level, easy place to live. We, like I said earlier, we deal with pressure, whether it's in our own personal life or concerns about those that we love or sickness or you know, just... Uh, regrets about what has happened and what we did in the past or what was done to us or apprehension about the future. All of us deal with that. I know certainly Penny and I have, have recognized that though there are momentary times in our life that have been utterly pleasant, the normal Christian life, well, the normal life period isn't a smooth, glassy sea, but the normal Christian life is full of difficulties. You know, a, a year and a half ago, Penny and I, we and our, our, 
our, our children and our grandchildren. We are on our way to Williamsburg, Virginia. Summer family vacation. It's going to be a delightful time. All of a sudden, you know, rainstorm comes. The car Penny was uh, driving, she wasn't driving, was riding in, began to, to uh, uh, hydroplane. She skids into the median, and, and the car begins to flip. I'm driving in front of Penny, looking in the rearview mirror with one of my grandsons, at, at, the, at their car just flipping over, over and over and over again. Well, the next thing I know, this, this family vacation and our lives instantly were, were turned around. What I thought was, this is a good season in our lives, in a moment changes. No control over our lives, even though we think we have an illusion, we have this illusion of control. All of a sudden, helicopters landing on the freeway. She's being life-flighted to the nearest trauma hospital, which was in Roanoke, Virginia. For, for the first week we were there, Penny was on life support, breathing tubes. Instantly, as I said, though I thought there was some continuity, consistency, some con control and expectation of, of things being manageable, everything, everything turned around. Everything turned around. And we, we were there in the hospital after she got uh, regained consciousness, was taking off life support. Uh, her, her neck had broken in two different places. Her, her upper arm was shattered. Her lower arm, both the bones were shattered. Her, her hand, her fingers were, were broken and, her, and it was in her, her, uh, her right arm. Head trauma, big gash on her head. And all I, I remember that, that time, and particularly that first night sitting in the, in the hospital room, is what is going on? What on earth is happening? Literally, how, 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 how did we find ourselves in this, in this situation? So she, she, we were there in the hospital for about three or, or, or four weeks, finally got discharged, neck brace, arm you know, sling, and grafts on her, her, her forearm, for, you know, skin grafts, et cetera, et cetera. And for the next, really from about May till to the beginning of November, you know, she was constantly in physical therapy and occupational therapy and seeing her, her plastic surgeon and seeing the neurologist and seeing the orthopedic surgeons. And, and finally, about a year ago, last, last November, you know, before Thanksgiving, I remember Penny and I talking that, okay, that, that, that episode, that, that time of our life is behind us and things began to, to get a little bit back to normal because I was under the illusion trying to convince myself that the normal life wasn't, wasn't difficult. Even though, in reality, we recognize our life, your lives are always wrought with some difficulties, whether it's relational difficulties or loneliness or concerns about money or concerns about career, whether it's, like I, like I said earlier, so Thanksgiving was coming. We were thinking we're, we're, seeing, we're seeing some light at the end of the tunnel. You know, we're going to get back to sort of a normal life. And, and truth be told, what I meant by a normal life was a life where I felt like it was under control, my control, where I knew what to expect. Well, I think it was a day or two after Thanksgiving last year, she was beginning to have some numbness in her, in her good arm, in her hand. So we began to go to some doctors in the middle of November, and then two days after, after uh, Thanksgiving, she had an MRI and, and we, uh, that, that morning, and we got a call that afternoon from, from the hospital, and they said, uh, we'd like you to come in we'll to discuss the MRI. And we said, well, we're seeing our, our neurologist uh, on Tuesday, and we, we'll... We'll talk to him or, and our orthopedic surgeon and so on. We'll talk on Tuesday. They said, no, we really want you to come in tonight. We need to talk to you. And we knew that wasn't good. So we went into the hospital. They, first they said, well, we found a, uh, a, a tumor the size of a fist. 
that was sitting on the top of her left lung and also then wrapped around her, her, spinal her uh, vertebrae in the spinal column. And we, we believe, this is all in five minutes, and we believe it's lung cancer that had just spread out of the lung and she probably has about 30 days to live. And again, I, I, I mean, we, we were just, uh, how, do you, how do you react? And, and all we were was filled with, with confusion and questions and just saying, Jesus, how could this possible, possibly be? We, we, thought, we thought we were seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, and this is just a train coming in our direction. Well, by the next day, they said, well, we've come to find out that it's, it's not lung cancer. The tumor's not in the lung. It's just sitting on top of the lung. We, we've done some tests, and she has multiple myeloma, which is a cancer of the plasma in the bone marrow. And they said, it's not 30 days of prognosis, but, but there's no cure to this, but it's, it's somewhat manageable. So all this is to say is that this notion that life is predictable, this notion that, that we can control it, this notion that we can map out our future to avoid surprises is just an illusion. It's, it's utterly just an illusion. I don't say that in a, a fatalistic way. I'm just saying that is the reality. That is just the reality of life, and we spend most of our time trying to, to convince ourselves that we can control our future and we can make sure that our life is, is easy and, and direct. But whether, whether we're looking at Paul's life or looking, or as I look at, at my life, or you look at your lives, this is the reality that the normal Christian life in this world is not marked by something that you can control. It's marked by a decision that can be made of where and who will be in control, whether we will, will try to direct our lives and fix our lives and make everything right, or whether we will say, Jesus, I don't understand everything, I certainly can't control any, everything, but I know that you are in control and I need to leave it, leave it with you and hang on to you in those dark times. So what I want to talk about today in, in, in the, the time we have is, is just three simple keys that the scriptures speak of that Penny and I are, are, are learning that I think are valuable in, in knowing how do we walk through darkness? How do we walk through a life that is unpredictable? And again, whether it's, it's great trauma or, or little difficulties, it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. I mean, it's like saying, well, by looking at somebody who's gone through more difficulties than you have isn't particularly comforting. It's like a person who hits their thumb with a hammer. It, it doesn't make it feel better just to say, well, aren't you glad you didn't have your, your arm cut off? It still hurts. It still hurts just as much. So this, this notion that if you just compare it to what others have gone through, it, it'll help life to be more tolerable. No, it's not. Pain is pain. Apprehension is apprehension. Anxiety is anxiety. But there, there are some answers. I want to talk about those, those today. And the first key that we clearly see in the life of Paul that, that Penny and I are, are trying to learn is the, the reality that we, we have to become comfortable in the mystery of walking in this life. That life here and now on earth is not full of answers of why this is happening, which is usually the first thing that we want to ask. When Penny and I were in the hospital in Roanoke and, and, and received the, uh, 
or, or in, uh, it was actually here in town at thanks, right after Thanksgiving, and they said, well, it's lung cancer. Oh, well, no, it's multiple myeloma. There were great questions that rose up. But it wasn't as if God rushed to our side and said, well, here are the answers to your questions. I am sure for Paul, when he was going into one difficult situation after another, God wasn't saying, well, Paul, let me explain why this is happening and and what's going to happen tomorrow. Because following God and being able to maintain a connection to him in difficulties is not an issue of having the answers to your questions or getting explanations. What we're finding is it's an issue of surrender. It's an issue of saying, Jesus, I don't have to understand why this is happening. Asking why is not the source or the the avenue where I'll find peace. But the question needs to be how. How do you want me to walk with you and hold on to you in this time? Because I don't know what tomorrow holds. So whether you're concerned about your children or you're concerned about your parents or you're concerned about your finances or concerned about the past or the future, knowing why it's happening is not what is necessary. What is necessary is, Jesus, how do I keep my eyes on you, my heart towards you? How do I find you as the the focus of my attention, of my devotion, rather than having my eyes constantly diverted either to the circumstance or my eyes constantly uh, trying to find and see what I can do to gain back some sense of of control. Jesus, in his life, was an example of of this principle of not needing the answer but just giving his life, surrendering his life ultimately to the Father. You remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, just full of of stress about what was coming just in in a, a number of hours, going to the cross. He who knew no sin, bearing the sins of the world, it says that Jesus sweat blood. There was such stress in his body. And he, he went up onto this one mountain with a couple of the disciples to pray, and he, he, he sat them down and said, you pray for me. And then he went along a little further. It says in Matthew chapter 26, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. The, the cup he was talking about was the cup of God's wrath that the wrath of God was going to be poured out upon him. There was unity up to that point for all eternity past. There was unity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus recognized in moments his, his, that the union between the, 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 the Heavenly Father and the, and the perfect Son was going to be torn in two. And the wrath of God was going to come upon him. And Jesus wasn't saying, now explain why this is happening. Explain what's going to happen. Explain how it's all going to work out. It was simply, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. The cup of your wrath, but not my will. I want your will done. Ultimate surrender. He went back and saw that the disciples had fallen asleep, then goes on again to pray. And he says in Matthew 26, 42, he says, he went away a second time and and prayed, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. The key principle in walking through difficult times is, is ultimate surrender. Just, just saying, here I am. I don't need to know the answers. I don't need to understand the future. I don't need to, to have you explain how this is going to be worked for good in my life or anyone else's life but I surrender my life to you. Because our peace doesn't come from having answers. This is worth the price of admission. Our peace doesn't come from having answers. Our peace comes from Christ. Our peace comes from finding him 
in the midst of the darkness. And, and let me tell you, there were and have been and will be many nights where, where I, I, I might wake up in the middle of the night or where I did wake up in the middle of the night with far more questions than answers. But I'm learning to not try to figure it out. I'm learning to, to not try to anticipate how I'm going to deal with tomorrow or what might happen or what I'll do if this happens or if that happens. I've learned to push those aside and say, Jesus, where are you? And finding him as my strong and mighty tower and just collapsing at his feet. Because Christ is our peace, not having the answers. Ultimate surrender. Not a negotiated surrender. Not, Jesus, I'll, I'll give my life to you, but give me some assurance. Give me a, a peek through the, 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 the keyhole of life that I could see what's coming and, and get some handle on how to manage it. It's not a negotiated surrender. I'll give you this part of my life, but Lord, leave this alone. I'll, I'll give you my, my finances but let me deal with my spouse. I, I, I'll give you my, my spouse and my marriage or my singleness, but Lord, don't touch my career. I like it just as it is. I'll give you my career, but don't touch my children or my grandchildren. It's not a negotiated surrender. You don't go to a doctor and say, Doctor, you, you can take my blood pressure but you can't take my, my temperature. You, you can take my, my pulse, but you, you can't take my blood. You, you can give me blue pills, but I'm not going to take any white pills. You don't negotiate. Well, sometimes you negotiate with your doctor, but you don't negotiate with the great physician. You just say, Jesus, I don't understand how this works out, but I know you do and I want to find you and take hold of you. Does that make sense? First key is ultimate surrender. The second way in which we walk through the darkness and, and make it through the, the, the difficult times is by determining what is your goal in your life. Is it comfort? Or is it abandonment? We can't insist on having answers. And we also need to recognize that we can't insist or make as a goal of our life to be comfortable. And by comfortable, basically I'm, I'm really talking about having some sense of control, which is really, as I said, just an illusion but in reality, what makes us most uncomfortable when it comes to life is feeling like we aren't in control or we may be in a situation where we're out of control. We're not in control of the bills in reference to how much money we have in the bank. We're not in control of, of our health. We're not in control of our children or our parents or our friends. We're not in control of our careers. We're not in control in this life. But if our goal becomes, Lord, I don't make control and comfort the end all to be all. I make abandonment, surrender to you. Then we find how to walk in those dark times. That's exactly what Jesus did. Not my will, but your will be done. That's how Paul made it through life. He didn't have control at all. He, he was a, a, a servant of Christ in chains. But he was content to be a servant of Christ and walk with Christ, be it in chains or as a free man. And this, this issue of abandonment to Jesus, it, it needs to be re resolved rather than in each situation deciding again and again. I mean, in one sense, we do at each situation have to say, Lord, I'm all in, I'm with you. But it's far better to get that resolved. It's sort of like in marriage. 
when, when, if you're a married person, when you got married, there was a, there was a, uh, uh, someone who probably asked you something along the lines of whether you're vowing to be married in sickness and in health, in, in good times and difficult times, for better, for worse, until death do you part. And, and most of you didn't negotiate that. You, you didn't say, well, here's what I am willing to commit to today. You just made a commitment. So that hopefully, if you're sincere, with each difficult time, because sometimes in marriage, it's not easy, you ever find that? But you didn't have to, to rethink it. I mean, Penny and I, I've said this before, I mean, we've been married now 42, 43 years, 43 years this year. And like I've said before, it's been 38 of the best years of my life. But those first five years, those were, those were doozies. Those, I mean, we had, you know, I was a brand new Christian, relatively speaking. Penny had grown up in the, in the church. I was coming out of a, a sort of a secular background, though I, I grew up in a Jewish home. I was, at that time, I was basically an atheist. Penny had grown up in a Southern Baptist family. I was from New York City. She was from, from Lubbock, Texas. Why should there be any difficulties, you know? I mean, it's like, you know, hand in glove. It was very difficult but there was a commitment that we made to one another. And, and as Penny has, has said to me frequently, Danny, I have never considered divorce. That was off the table. She said, I've thought about murder many times, <laughs> but not divorce. It was resolved in her mind, and it's the same thing. This, this abandonment to Jesus needs to be resolved, not brought out on the table over and over again. That we, we're not walking down the middle of the street and saying, in each situation, Lord, I'll determine whether I'll walk with you or walk away from you. Whether I'll give you my life in this moment or only a portion of my life. Those who, who walk down the middle of the road trying to negotiate everything are, are hit by cars from both directions. But those who resolved in their heart that I am going to walk with Jesus, not by my own power, not by my determination, but by the grace he'll give me, those are the ones that find an easier way through those, those dark times. And, and let me say this too. One of the things I've, I've found in difficult times and in, in, in challenging times in times when we're out of control, in times where we, we don't have the answers to all of our questions. What I've found is that in the dark times, we learn, we learn how to trust Jesus. It's in the dark times that we, we come to see whether indeed we're all in or whether we're holding back. It's in the dark times that you learn to abandon this, this illusion of control. And, and that's been the great blessing of, of both the, the, the accident that Penny was in and, and the cancer for both of us. That it's, it's helped to, to hold a mirror in front of us and to show us what are the areas that we've held back. You see, the reality is this. We already belong to Jesus. And he is totally in control of our lives, even though we like to think at times that we're in control. And it's important to recognize that we, 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 we shouldn't be worrying about God taking those things in your life that you're trying to hold on to so dearly, taking those things from you that you're, 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 you're finding as your foundation and as your peace, those, that, that, that shouldn't be our worry that, oh Lord, don't take anything like that away from me. We, we should be far more worried 
that the Lord would allow us to continue to hang on to them. See, it's the grace of God that he brings us to those forks in the road where we have to look and examine and see what are the false foundations, what are those idols that we cling to. It's the grace of God that holds those, those mirrors up before us. And we spend far too much time worrying that he might take something away when we ought to be worried that he allows us to continue to build false foundations that can, can, that can crumble and just give us this, this illusion that life is under control. It's like we sang this morning, he's, he's our strong tower. So we give up on the, having to have answers. We give up on having to, to somehow find that easy, comfortable, controlled way to, to manage our life. The third key that I want to finish with is understanding. In order to go through hard times, we need to understand that God only gives us grace for today, for what's before us. And the reason why that's so important is what causes the most stress and the most anxiety for most of us is apprehension about what might happen, about all the what-ifs. What if I do this? What if I do that? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this doesn't work? What if that doesn't work? What if I run out of money before the bills are paid? What if, if, if my marriage doesn't get better? What if my children don't turn around? What if my parents don't change? What if my career is taken away? What if I lose this, this foundation that I'm building my life on apart from Jesus? Folks, for the Christian... The phrase, what if, is illegal. It's illegal. Because God does not give grace for tomorrow. He gives grace for each day. So all those minutes and hours that we may spend awake in the middle of the night trying to manage the what ifs. What if I go to work tomorrow and, and the boss says this? Or my coworker says that again. What if we, I, I get into it with that, that person in my life and we have another battle? God, he doesn't give grace for the what ifs. He, he says, if you want to, to deal and project yourself into the future, have at it, but you're on your own. But what he does promise is that he will give grace for any what is that comes up in your life. That's why he taught the disciples to pray. When he taught them the Lord's Prayer, he said, pray, give me this day my daily bread. Literally what he was saying, pray, Lord, give me today's provision today. You don't pray, Lord, help me to, to know how I'm going to deal with tomorrow. He says, no, just come before the Lord each moment, each day, and each dark time, and say, Lord, give me in this moment my daily provision, what is needed for right now. That's why the scriptures say that God's grace is new every morning, and it's his grace that's sufficient for our weaknesses. And it's his grace that perfects us in our weakness, in spite of our weakness. You know, Jesus in, in his first sermon, you know, said, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about clothing. Don't worry about tomorrow. I'll take care of you like I take care of the birds of the sky. I'll provide for you. You of little faith is what he said to them. You see, we try to orchestrate our lives so we don't have to live by faith. So we can be under the illusion, I'm prepared 
because I got it figured out what will happen. So we rehearse conversations. Well, if my boss says this, I'll say that. If my husband says this, I'll say that. We, we try to rehearse our life for tomorrow. So we think we have some control. He says, no, little faith. Get your eyes, pry your eyes off of the what ifs and find me for right now. And that's been such a key that I've found in, in walking in dark times, finding Jesus. And it's a struggle sometimes because I want to ask Jesus why. I want to say, Jesus, let me have some control. And he says, I want you to just have me. I want you to just have me. And when I'm wise enough to redirect my thoughts, when I'm wise enough to, to let go my, of my insistence on having answers, when I find him, then I find that grace for that moment. In the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. His grace is sufficient. It's, it's all about walking through a life wrought with difficult times, temptations, unpredictable situations, full of questions, and saying, Jesus, help me to just find my way through this clutter and find you. Just stand up. Here, here's how I want to finish up. You know, undoubtedly, if you're like me, there, there, it is so easy to, to feel out of control. You undoubtedly have a lot of questions that you would love to have the, the answers to about, about life. A lot of apprehension about the future or, or regrets about the past. I believe the Lord wants to just be gracious with us and give us himself this morning in major doses. So here, here's what I want to do. If you recognize that you're a compulsive what-ifer, what if this, what if that, I want you to get some prayer this morning. If you find yourself as someone who constantly is trying to, to find some way that you can feel like you have some control, you have some, some plan for how life is going to be manageable, I want you to, to come forward this morning because Jesus wants to just come and draw near to you, pry your eyes off of all that's got your attention so you can see him fresh and new and find that peace comes from the Prince of Peace, not from control, not from having all the answers, not from figuring out tomorrow, but finding him in today. If you're here with other needs, physical, emotional, spiritual needs, feel free to come forward. Let's make sure that everybody that comes to the front has someone praying for them. Father, bring your presence today. Meet us as we give our lives to you this morning. Come, manifest your presence. Let us see you and find your peace, your grace, your mercy, your hope. Why don't you come forward right now? Again, let's make sure everybody that's at the front has someone praying for them. There's nothing worth more. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living hope. Let's be the church. We have a lot of people that need prayer, so if you're a member of the church, if you're a tender in our small group, just come stand next to somebody, put your hand on their shoulder, and ask that God would come and bring them what they need right at this moment. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves where my heart becomes free. Need some more women? 
Today, we, we just give to you all of our questions. They're good questions, God, but they don't provide peace. And more often than not, you don't provide answers. But we give you the questions, and in exchange, Lord, won't you give us yourself, your peace, your grace. Bring your presence. Father, we, we give to you our desire to have some sense of control, some plan, some way that life will feel manageable and well under control. We relinquish the control of our lives to you in exchange, Lord. Give us yourself, your presence. Father, we give up all the what-ifs. What if this happens? What if that doesn't happen? We give you our what-ifs. In exchange, Jesus, give us yourself. Prince of Peace, come with a peace that goes beyond comprehension, that goes beyond the circumstances. Give us a peace that rests in a person and not the circumstances of our lives. Come, Holy Spirit, come. We would much, much rather walk with you through the darkest, darkest time than to be anywhere without you in any circumstance. Father, we bless you and your purposes. We hang on to your hand. Give a peace as you do to any child that is being held on to firmly and gently by a gracious and merciful Father. Dismiss us this morning in such a way that we we don't walk away from you into, into our week. But we walk into our week with you. In Jesus' name, amen.